Well, good morning. And we are on lesson two, which is what we're going to uh, get into today. And as I was praying over this lesson and uh, putting the notes together and talking um, with God about what I really believed we should go over today, it really became apparent to me that specifically for these chapters and everything that are on um, the gifts, that we needed to go through and do kind of an overview of each one. And then also, what are they telling us about the gifts? So we're going to do kind of a chapter overview for each section. And then we're going to see, and what I want to do is take each of one of those sections then and see what we can see continually throughout the Word of God. Because that's a truth you can build on. Because it's not just in one section, it's in three. And I think that's very important. These are the three main chapters that people go to for gifts. So when somebody says to you, I want to know about the gifts of the Spirit, now you know exactly where to take them, right? Because you did the work on them this week, hopefully. So that's what we uh, will get into. So I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians 12. This is where we were last week. Um, and I just want to go over just some basic information, which you already know. So we'll start there. Who wrote it? Paul. Awesome. So that is the author. And when approximately did he write it? Do you know? Roughly. You're right, 50... Yeah, so I would say somewhere, everybody wants to disagree a little bit, but somewhere around 54 to 57 is where I would put it. All right, so before we go any further, what do we know about this time period in the church? What's going on? Division. So Christ has been gone long enough, and the church is being built, that what has happened? Division. And how does division start happening? People. people. <laughs> There's more people in the church than Jesus. There you go. Problem solved. All right. So that's exactly what's happened. All right. So we have when it is. All right. So who did he write this particular letter to? The church. Uh-huh. The church in Corinth. Corinth, C-O-R-I-N-T-H, yeah. All right, so the church in Corinth. <clears throat> now, this, these are the questions um, that if you took 1 Corinthians, great, and you may remember, may not, I do have them, so I will fill in. But why did he write it? Why did he write the whole letter? What was going on? That's right. So there were questions among the body. And he had heard rumors. And then the other thing is, is there was false doctrine popping up. So this is going on um, in the church in Corinth. And if you were going to do a key verse in 1 Corinthians, anybody remember where that is? 
All right, I'm going to write it up here, and then I'm going to let somebody else read it. So it's in 1 Corinthians 1.10. So this is your key verse. It is what the whole book is about. So I'll let somebody who has that go ahead and read that. So 1 Corinthians 1.10. Okay, so his passion was no division. That was his passion for them. So we see right here that there is division among the church and that he is trying to address that. In the flow of thought then, let's go ahead and pull out 1 Corinthians 12. And tell me how 1 Corinthians 12 fits into this flow of thought that we've just pulled out about most of Corinthians. There's to be no division. He's talking about the fact that there are individuals and members and different than they are, but they're supposed to be working together mm -hmm. as one, one unit, one whole. Correct. So they're supposed to be working together as one whole. Do you think spiritual gifts could cause a division? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Why? We've seen it in our church bodies. Why? Yeah, speaking in tongues. We want other people's gifts. Yep, this is more important. Yeah. So I will tell you, and this is something just, you know, and you can see the irony in this. Um you know, the Lord gave me the gift of teaching, and I've had it for a very long time. And it's something that had to be inspired. It had to be mentored. And Katie is one of the people that helped me do that. But a teaching gift doesn't do me any good. There you go. But when it's just me, I know it. So there you go. You have to have a body to be able to teach. So that's one of the things I will tell you about the, you know, a lot of these gifts, you have to have the body. And a lot of people get very excited because they're like, oh, this is my gift and I'm so special. I have to have the body. My gift doesn't operate by itself with me alone. It just doesn't. And if I'm not in the body, I'll teach anybody else I can find, which is always a problem because, you know, the person, you know, grooming your dog may not want to know all that you learned this week in Bible study. <clears throat> And I find it extremely important, um, but that's exactly the sort of thing um, that we get into. All right, so we've done a little bit of this verse. We've kind of now put 1 Corinthians 12 in its uh, beautiful kind of part. He's just gone over divisions. He starts talking about spiritual gifts. And how does he end chapter 12 right into chapter 13? What is he going to talk about? Love. It is the love chapter, right? All right, so I want to write that up here, that chapter 13 is all about love. Why would you think that he would put the love chapter right after talking about spiritual gifts? It's important. If you don't have love, you are a clingy symbol, right? 
That's how the first, next first few verses kind of lead out. If I have not love. Okay. So when he's talking about higher gifts, when he's talking about seeking these things, what is it that follows right after those lines? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will still you, show you still a more excellent way. What are the next few verses right after that? The love. That's right. We should love. That is the more excellent way. So when people take these out of context, what is it that they interpret those things to mean? What is the more higher gifts? What do they think that's referring to? Spiritual gifts, exactly. But we are to love, and that is the first and foremost. Quite honestly, I don't think a lot of these gifts operate unless you have the love. Um, because you can't do the things that you're required to do to be able to do this type of work that you can help the body if you do not love the body. So there's something about the way that these operate together that's beautiful, that has to work together, that we are required um, to have in, as we grow in faith. All right, so let's go through what the truths that we took about um, for spiritual gifts, and we'll start... Right with verse 1. All right. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, just so you're aware, knowledge is very important to Paul. Has anybody figured that one out? He likes to always talk about knowledge in some of his, uh, all of his books and things that he's writing the letters and that. Um, so number two, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Why do you think he put that there? With what we've just talked about, why do you think he put that line there? Mm-hmm. They're getting it from who? Pagans and leadership. That's who they're getting it from. And he's saying, uh-uh, no, you were led there. Yeah. So I want you to understand that he's already addressing in the first two verses leadership. Before you do anything else is leadership. You were led there. So let's talk a little bit about mute idols. Those of you who've been in Bible study and covenant and um, study and other things, what do we know about idols? They're made by hands, human hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They pull us away from God. They're mute. They're mute. Mm-hmm. Yes, anything that pulls you away from God, made with human hands, you start to go, oh, real quick, um, the things that we do. So I just want to point this out, mute idols. So if the idols don't talk, who has a tendency to talk for the idols? Satan? People. That's right. Well, I believe my God looks like this. Have you heard people say that? My God wouldn't let me. What have they just done? 
That's idolatry right there. My God wouldn't. You just made God something less. And don't do that. God is who he is. The word of God is true. You, he's been standing for many years. We do not have to interpret him. Um, he is very clear on who he is. But one of the things I will tell you is this was going on how many years after the church started? Just right in the mix of it. It's right there. And is it still going on today? Absolutely. So that's one of the beautiful things that when I see some of the things Paul writes, I'm like, oh, Paul, I'm so, I feel for you, buddy. 50 years in, boom. And you're standing there going, quit doing this, people. Um, anyway, yeah. All right. So you have those two. And then he says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Why is putting the Holy Spirit there so important? I'm going to put this up here. Mm -hmm. Right? These gifts operate how? By the Holy Spirit. When are they given to you? Uh-huh. So the gifts are given by the Spirit. At salvation. Now, are they fully developed at salvation? As Katie said last week, you know, you wouldn't have wanted to hear me teaching even in the first... And many of you know this about my background, and it's not surprising to you. I came out of the Mormon faith. When I started doing Bible study and doing inductive Bible study, I would get so angry because I realized how much of my thinking was lies. And I can't even begin to tell you um, absolutely true how many bindings on books I broke because I threw them. I was so mad when I would realize I had been lied to. I had a half-truth and not the full truth, and how furious I was, and that no one helped me, and that that was something that was just believed, and everybody walked down this path, and when I started understanding I only had half truth, it just infuriated me to the core, and again, nobody else, everybody else seemed very happy in class, and I was furious all the time, and, you know, and Katie is one of those people, she's like, well, let's talk about why you're angry, let's talk about, and, you know, and those are things that she could see that that stuff was working in me, but it's also one of those things that the Holy Spirit was changing and working on some of this, so the Holy Spirit, the gifts are given by Spirit, um, they're given at salvation, and what does it say in 4, 5, and 6? Mm-hmm. So we have the Trinity, right? All working together. Okay? In the gifts. All of them are working together. So I'm going to have you think of gifts in a little different way. God uh, kind of put this on my heart this week as I was preparing for this, and I think it's a really good point. Susan, I'm going to pick on you. Are you ready? All right. Okay. So Susan and I become in relationship. We really like each other, and I give Susan a gift. Okay? 
That's right. Give me, give me, give me. <laughs> All right. She wasn't expecting it. Out of the blue, she gets a gift. Now you have this gift. Now, I don't need the gift back. <laughs> but you are going to be a steward over it. You are going to take care of it. You are going to, um, if it needs any maintenance or that, you're going to do it. But the whole point of the gift that I gave you is to what? For me. What does that gift do? For you? Mm hmm What's it do for me? I know sometimes when I've given a gift, it makes me happy to give. It hurts first when I fail to somebody. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a physical gift. I've given you, you know, something. The whole point of God giving you a gift is to use it. And what is the purpose of that gift after you've managed it and all that? To glorify me. Not only that, that's a form of worship. Just so you know, the whole point of me giving it to you. So I, I, I'm hoping you get this. God gives you something innately him to worship him in. You getting that? So our job is what? What is our job? To exercise it? To grow it? Mm-hmm. To realize it? Isn't it interesting, though, and I just want you to realize the difference between why I think this is so important. You get this. How do you worship an idol? Sacrifice. You enslave yourself to it over and over. It's never content. It's never happy. That sort of thing. What did our God do? Sacrifice himself. But then he said, I'm going to put in you something that worships me. And even in that, it's him, if that makes any sense. We are guardians of it, but it's him doing it. I just find that just, just blows my mind when I start thinking of those things. Because when you look at the, the flow of thought here, he's going after them worshiping other idols. Remember in this whole chapter of 1 Corinthians, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Because they're living among people who are pagans. They're living among the world, so to speak. And while they're in this world and they're interacting with people, he has to come through and remind them, you are not of this world. You are getting the world and mixing it with this idea of God and this is not right. And so he starts correcting it. And then he talks about spiritual gifts. And even in the spiritual gifts, they're not worldly. They are godly. And that's one of the things I want you to understand is when he comes through and he gives us this gift, the purpose of it is for him. The reason he gave it is for him. And we just happen in his infinite design, be able to be a part of it. I am so thrilled when I get to be a part of something that God is doing. I just find it to be overwhelming because in his infinite wisdom, I got to be a part me. I, I may have shared this last time, but I'll, I'll share it this time. Uh, a couple of last year in August, I was asked to go to a Syrian refugee conference for the women. Um, 
So Syrian pastors had gathered together in Lebanon, and they had asked me to come every morning and do a devotion. And then I would pray over the women um, every day um, as they uh, went out throughout their day, if they had specific concerns. And that was my job was basically just to be available, which is what I did. Well, right before I went, I felt like God really put it on my heart to take coloring books. These are grown women. I'm like, all right. So, and many of you have seen those beautiful um, uh, books that have scripture that you color, you know, adult coloring books and color crayons. So anyway, and so I went to Target and, you know, they were having the after school markdown special. So, you know, I grabbed several of those and because I'm still a budget friendly person. And anyway, and so, you know, I'm, I'll be obedient, but do it on a budget um, anyway. And so, you know, I really felt like this is what God had put me to do. And so I drug them all over there. And I didn't know if I was going to use them specifically. Like, I just felt like I should do them. Long story short, week kept going. I put the coloring books out. Nothing happened. I would put them out on the table. Nothing happened. I was like, okay, so maybe it was just a good idea I had. Well, one of the women there was 20 years old, and her name was Leah. She wanted to go and uh, become a doctor, but with the war, um, no money to do that. So she's in her father's house. She's learning English by watching American movies. So that should give you an idea right there. Um, anyway, and she just started sharing with me. She said, you can't even imagine. I can't even walk down to the grocery store or to a store and buy a coloring book. I love to color. And she said, I, I can't even do that. And I said, oh, I said, so what do those cost? And she said, one coloring book will be close to $20 because of the war and torn country. And I said, and what about your coloring crayon? She said, well, one color would probably be about 10 American dollars is what we're looking at. Now she's rattling on and I'm going, oh. all right. I, just, I, I about like, yeah, you couldn't hold me in my chair. So I was like, hold still. <laughs> and I went running up to my room and I come all the way back and I handed all this stuff to her and she just started crying, just tears rolling down her face. Now this is the beauty of this story. So as she's doing this, she said, my God sees me and he sent a Christian from America to provide for me. It wasn't so much that she got coloring books. It was that God in his infinite wisdom used someone else to provide that for her. Okay? Now, in the Holy Spirit, those things happen. And I was overwhelmed because God in his infinite wisdom let me witness it. And that is the beauty of working in the body. And that is what they're supposed to do. So when we get greed and envy and jealousy creep in and all those things that happen it deflects what the body is supposed to be and how we're supposed to care for each other. I walked out of there. It was a coloring book. It was 30 cents of color crayons, and she knows her God loves her. Does that make sense? Like, I walked out of there going, was Jesus edified? Yes. Did this grow the body? Yes. Okay? Now, I saw her again at another conference, and I always write my Bibles, but I have one that I have never written in. And it just so happens at the end of the conference, she teaches women now. She walked up to me and she said, can I have an English Bible? I don't have one. Could you get one to me? And I just turned around and handed it to her. I said, I believe this one's yours. And she goes, oh, I couldn't take your Bible. I said, 
Clearly God wanted you to have it because I've never written in it. Didn't write my name in it. Didn't write a single thing in it. Taught out of it for many years. Never wrote in it. And I knew then that God was doing those things to edify her because where she was going to teach, I could not go. And that's what we do when we start operating in our gifts is we start to see the, the edification of the body and we start to see people grow up into maturity because we're operating in our gifts. Does that make sense? Awesome. Like I said, I love the subject of gifts, but until you truly understand it, I think people get way off track with a lot of things that they miss that the Holy Spirit is moving in power and we get to be a part of it. That was his infinite wisdom. He didn't have to do it that way, but he chose to. Okay. All right. So in number seven, it's exactly what I just shared with you. To each of you is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So the whole point is for the common good. All right. So here is a, a truth I want you to take away today. So I'm going to put this up here. So how do you know if something is the spirit of God or not? Now, when you get into gifts of prophecy, when you get into gifts of, a lot of people will tell you a lot of things. On that one statement from the word of God, what do you already know? What can you say is a truth? Does it benefit everybody? Absolutely. If it only benefits the person operating in the gift, there's your check. Whether or not it's operating in the body. Right? Have you ever been somewhere where the focus was on? Focus on me, focus on me, focus on me. In the Mormon faith, there's a lot of revelation. I have a word from God for you. I have a I can't even begin to tell you how many people have prophesied over me and told me stuff that clearly never happened. And it's just really funny. God really led me out of um, working on radio and and a lady right after I'd made the decision to walk out of that came up to me and go, you should be on radio because I need to speak to the people. And I was like, okay, there you go. It benefits the body. There you go. There's one of them. All right. Um, and verse number eight, for one is, is given through the spirit. And let's make a list over here of them. So give me the, the ones that we already know of the spiritual gifts. What is it that's listed there? Mm-hmm. Words of wisdom. And what does that look like? Anybody do any word study on that? What is that? I figured Martha did. Yeah. <laughs> and Martha's a teacher too. <laughs> it's here somewhere, and I. It's, yeah. Oh, here it is. Okay, you know my word of wisdom. Mhm. Just trying to get it. Yeah. So yeah. Do you know what they mean? But it's yeah. So like, but word is an intelligent speech, and wisdom can be. Uh, Wisdom, God and man, uh, skillful, expert, sensible, advice, you know. Okay. Spiritual wisdom, heavenly wisdom. Um, I would say direction. direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say words of wisdom are, is direction. It's 
as a teacher, a lot of the times I will tell you, sometimes you say things and you're like, oh, that was so good. <laughs> but you can't do that because everybody's looking at you, but you're like, that so wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you really think you've done a great job teaching and you'll run into somebody years later and they're like, you said this one thing and it changed everything for me. And you're like, so don't have a clue what that was, but cool. Um, anyway, words of wisdom. Yeah. All right. Knowledge. So words of knowledge, what are those? They work together. Mm hmm Yeah. Mm hmm I would say reveal. So one is kind of let's uh, let's give direction to people, and another one is kind of a governing um, in terms of uh, the spirit revealing things to you. And you guys have done this in Bible study. Just so you know, if you do inductive Bible study, when you are sitting down and you are doing your lessons and God speaks to your heart in a way that you know you will never be the same, something connects for you that has never connected before, that's when you're like, yeah, that's knowledge right there. You're never the same. Okay? All right. And we're going to talk about faith. So all of us have a measure of faith that's given to us. Um, so is this the same type of faith that we're talking about here? Okay. What sort of faith is this one? It's that unbelievably strong faith where you can trust in all circumstances regardless of, of what's going on. It's unwavering, yeah. right, right. And remember, these are gifts from God. So it's that faith that you know, 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 that you know. Yeah, confidence, right, right, trust. Um, again, I'm going to go back to when I was allowed to teach the Syrians, um, and I was going through and I was teaching on Daniel, as I'm speaking to them, it is very clear to me, because I was talking about the whole story of Daniel, most of the people in that congregation did not read or write. So they don't have Bibles. They don't, have, they don't know any of the stories. They don't know anything. And so I was teaching on Daniel. Here is a refugee from another city that's been taken to this one, spends his life there praying over a city. And so, you know, I really felt led to say all those things. But as I'm teaching, it's becoming very clear to me some of them are going to go back into Syria and be killed for their faith. Like, it is painfully, like, clear to me. And the reason that some of those things happen for me, and that's like one of the faith, was strengthening of faith because, again, didn't say that to them, but as a teacher, the conviction of which, which I was teaching for them was important that they know that. And this is a measure of faith that they needed to know that someone was standing with them. They were going to face lions. Some of them were going to be killed. Some of that whole flock had been killed. Um, and I can't even imagine, you know, when you become a Christian, your family gives ISIS a picture of you and instructions to wipe you out. And that is what happens in our world. And that's what, when we talk about this faith, you know that you know that you know that you're standing. Just happens. 
Okay? All right. Um, so what's the next one? Uh-huh, gifts of healing. All right, and then the working of miracles. Prophecy. And then, um, yeah, distinguishing spirits. Very important in today's culture. By the way, this came to me as I was doing my study. I'll see if any of you went there as well. What do we know about some of these gifts and end times? Mm -hmm. Well, what do we already know that's going to happen? You're right. So I don't think it's without reason, and I believe in a God of order, when you look at these, where they say healing, miracles, and prophecy, to the next line say distinguish between spirits. Because in end times, these things you will see. People will rise up, but they won't be of what spirit? Holy Spirit, right. But they will have the signs. So how do you tell what's of God and what isn't of God? You have to be able to distinguish, and you also have to be able to know the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay? And then we have tongues, which is the one everybody gets excited about. What is tongues, by the way? Language. Language. Yep. We call it systematic symbols. Does that make any sense? Yep. So just so you know, I'm a communications. I love language, culture, understanding people. I see blocks and how things move. That's how I do it. So whenever we get into tongues, I always find it interesting because what happens is somebody will speak in a way that they don't know the patterns. It is a supernatural. They don't, they don't even know what they're doing. And isn't that fascinating that God is going to use that because where do we see language get very confused? There you go. And so not only can he can confuse it, he can make you understand it, which is why you have interpretation of tongues. <clears throat> so just what I was talking about with language, something that gets me very excited, we are now at a cultural point where technology can translate for us. So there is no language really that has kept untouched. So we can, with Google Voice and that, we can walk up to someone and say, speak, and speak to them in their own language now. And I find that fascinating because I don't know what that means, but I know it means something because if you read your Bible, we haven't had that capability since Babylon. So I'm like, oh, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm excited. I have no idea. Yeah. So why people are using their, this is what I think is great. So it took us this long just to get Google to be able to do it. And God can do it. I just find that anything he can do better, we try to emulate um, all over again. So yeah. All right. So we're going, going to go through a little bit more of these. What is it that we take away um, for these next very 
um, list of verses that are in uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Um, I'm going to go through 11 uh, to, let's go 11 to 22. What is it that you see there? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Members, and we are what? One body. I, I say this a lot when I'm overseas, one God. There's one nation under God. That's, we're one nation. He doesn't see us as broken down by our culture. He sees us as one nation. We're his. And so when they need a teacher overseas and anywhere, that is my job as part of the body to go. And that's part of what you have to start thinking. A lot of the times we think very small, but I believe wholeheartedly the Christian body is connected and it should be. We should connect it. And that's part of what... Um, you're starting to see in these last times, we're a very small group of people, if you haven't noticed, against the world, you know, and we're shrinking. <laughs> yeah, and we need to unite as much as possible. So I think there's a really good point into this as he's talking about the body um, and he's going through this. So we have the same spirit, and who is the one that controls all of these? Not only the Holy Spirit, in verse 11 at the end, he apportions these gifts to each one individually as he wills. Okay. So this is a truth I want to bring out to you in here. There's, um, if you didn't do this, I highly recommend, this is a technique that's used in Bible study that I think is very, very important. Let's walk through in this particular chapter, what does God do? Everywhere you have highlighted God, tell me what he does. Okay, so he empowers. Okay, I'm the right God. God empowers. What else does he do? Mm -hmm. So my, uh, so I have the ASV version, but he has placed. Mine says arranged. Same idea. Okay, what else has he done? Each one of them as he, he wills. Mine says chose. Okay. And number 24, God has so, uh-huh, he composes, okay, and then in verse 28, now, I just want you, without reading any more, so God empowers, he arranged or placed, he wills, he chose, he composed, and he appoints. What role is that? Sovereign? Creator? We see this in the laying out of the gifts. If you just write down everything that God has done, this is a sovereign God. Composed and appoints, and it's for his will, for his purpose. 
So whenever you do Bible study, and um, if you haven't done this, it's important for you to know what God does. And it's important when you run across Jesus to do the same things, when you see the Holy Spirit, because that will help give you an understanding of what is their function. So God has come into the body, and he has laid this out. So the church didn't just start and say, okay, let's get going. He appointed. He composed. He, does that make sense? Like you're starting to see he is the one that's like, okay, you're going to worship me, and this is how we're going to worship. Okay. All right. So the one body. Anybody find anything about the body interesting? Any part missing that wasn't specifically talked about? The head. Who's the head? Christ. Very good. If you didn't know that, nobody in your church should be the head. Just so you know, if somebody says, I'm the head of the body, and I don't mean pastors, that's not what I'm talking about, but when somebody, the head of the body is Jesus. Yeah. Just so you know, Jesus is the head. I want you to know that because a lot of people um, kind of get confused on, and they get all lost on, am I an eye? Am I an ear? Am I a foot? What am I in the body of Christ? Okay. Um, that's Jesus is the head. That's what you need to know. He's all, he's in charge of all of it, all knowing he knows what to do. And sometimes I believe also, even just now, like with Katie being sick and ill, I believe that there's a special opponent component that God is allowing to happen for her people. But also, and this is just uh, a point in that because somebody in our body needs help. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And there are lots of teachers in this room, and I know I'm not the only one, which I find fabulous um, as well. All right. So we're moving on down, and I just want to go over one more thing here before we move on, and that's number 28. Um, let's just make our list still. So he appoints apostles. What are apostles? Mm -hmm. Sent ones. They are eyewitnesses. So they're eyewitnesses. Second prophets, oh, not second prophets, prophets. <laughs> Sorry about that. What do prophets do? Prophesy. What is prophecy usually? Think about Old Testament. What is a prophet's role? Speak the words of God to people because the Holy Spirit wasn't present. So they had to do that, and usually their lives reflected the sin of the people. Um, so, yeah. All right, and then teachers. Okay, and then we have in there miracles, healing, helping. And then the last one is tongues. Okay. All right. Yes. Why would he do it that way? What do you think? So if God, mm -hmm. so what was the apostles' first job in the church? Like what, they're apostles, what is their job? 
to be eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. And what will be their ultimate? Share the gospel. And, and what will happen to them? So they are dedicated unto death. Okay? So I want you to understand that's an apostle is dedicated unto death. They're eyewitnesses usually. And they are given the opportunity to go and serve, and they want to. There's a desire there to do that, but unto death. They will all face some sort of horrific death and not falter. Okay? You, scripture would be very weird if when faced with death, they said blah, 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 blah. You know, that, that wouldn't work. So they're obedient unto death. Who is also obedient unto death? So in my humble opinion, that is one of the reasons I think they're listed first is because they're modeling that behavior for the church. Yeah. Okay. Now that's my opinion. So prophets, um, which is the next one, I think that's number two. Um, so prophets, their job is usually, just so you're aware, it's a now correction with a future implication. So that's what prophecy is. It's a now correction usually with a future implication, okay? And some of them in Old Testament, they died horrendous deaths as well. So yes, you will see that. Um, and some of them uh, didn't die. They were taken by God, okay? And then the third one is teachers. So, And these are all, just so you're aware, speaking gifts. So those are all why I think they're that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So obedience unto death is an interesting concept. Um, I have to tell you some of the stories I've heard and things I've I've uh, witnessed and 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 heard firsthand. I always think as I walk out of something, I'm so glad God didn't call me to that. Which is, but then I'm like, but what if He does? Then He will equip me. <laughs> that's that's my second answer because I'm I'm biblically knowledgeable. I'm so glad I don't have to. But if it comes to that, God will equipment. That will be his, that's what he does. So anyway, but that's my first thing is, thank God I didn't have to do that. But then I'm like, but if he calls me, I'll do it. Anyway, so yeah, yeah. Uh, my husband spent many, many years in Afghanistan, Iraq, living in awful places that are just, you know, and I'm always like, I don't have to do that. I go into war-torn countries and I live, and I just laugh. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. So God calls us where he needs us, and that's what we do. So, All right, Romans 12, um, let's start there. Uh, I spend a lot of time on 1 Corinthians because I believe it's one that you really need to get as a base because so much is written on it. I'm going to lay out this one pretty quickly for you. Romans is a meaty, meaty book. It is not easy to get through. Some of you guys have studied it. So I just want to go through some things uh, with this one. So who is the author of this one? Mm-hmm. So just so you know, this one was written after. So they're saying it's 58, 56 to 58, something like that. Um, and who is it written to? Romans, the church in Rome. Who is the church in Rome? Who is there? Gentiles and? Uh-huh. You have both. Gentiles and Jews. All right. And so why did he write Romans? 
Mm-hmm. That's it. You did it. Um, he set clear the nature and design. Now, for some of you who are new to Bible study um, and don't know this, there is a clear plan for Jewish believers, and there is a clear plan for Christians. And we work together in the ultimate design of what God has done. And Romans is a really good book that lays that out for you fundamentally. Okay? All right. So I'm going to pick on Jan because she was in my class for Romans. What's the key verse? <laughs> Do it. One sixteen seventeen. What is it? <laughs> the righteous. Some of you already know it. The righteous. Uh huh. That is the key verse. Mm hmm. The righteous shall live by faith. And the righteous there literally is the same word for justified. And how are we justified? By faith through who? There you go. Mm-hmm. So there, there you have um, in terms of this. So where is Paul when he's writing Corinthians in terms of his thought process? Just is he, is he been in his career a while? Where is he at kind of on a continuum? Any idea? He's towards the end. Okay. This is definitely towards the end. Romans was written towards the end of his life. And just so you have an idea, this is what I find interesting. What you're going to see in Paul, which I think is the reason um, God put this on my heart to do this, is what he said before and what he's going to say now. Do you think they're going to be very similar? Yes, they are. There's consistency. And I think there's a beauty in that so you can see it. Okay? All right. So I want to go through and teach on a little bit of these things. The first verse, what like kind of in your mind triggered as soon as you read the first verse there? That's right. Right? Um, therefore is therefore. So what is it therefore? Uh huh. So, just so you know, the therefore is for all chapters 1 through 11. It's for all of them. If you're wondering, why is there a therefore? We always say, that why is the therefore therefore? What, what's the purpose? The therefore is there strictly because at that point um, in the teaching, Paul has kind of, Paul likes to lay down a foundation and then he says, <gasps> and so, <laughs> and that's kind of what's happened. After 11 chapters, he's getting to the point, which is great. He's just laid out this beautiful argument um, for everyone. Okay? And if you don't know, a lot of people are curious. Uh, Romans 1 is the one that we use a lot with wrath and habitual sin. And so he hits them right off the bat with, you cannot know God and habitually sin. And that's what Romans 1 is really about. Um, with the habitual sin. Um, and a lot of things that are happening now in our culture, you can go to Romans 1 continually. So Romans 1.11 is really about the plan for salvation. So we start in chapter 12. 
And 12 through 16 are kind of a set group, a book. And what do you think they cover? How do we live it? Yep. 12 to 16 is how do we live it out. Now, the whole point of me writing this out for you is so you can see flow of thought. So he's just laid this beautiful doctrinal foundation of salvation. He's come to 12. You're taking a breather. And now he says, now this is what you need to do. And where does he go take us to right at the beginning? Verse 12 or uh, chapter 12. Therefore, what is the first thing he says to us? Yep. Do a living sacrifice. Anybody do any word studies on that? Or y'all just accept it? What'd you find? You don't remember. Mm -hmm. So living is uh, the Greek word G2198. I'm not even going to try to say it. And sacrifice is G2378. Did you get a different one? Okay. And what did you find when you looked those up, the actual meaning of those? Mm-hmm. So here we have this thought process again, living. Living. It's not dead. Yeah. Any of the Monty Python skits any of you have seen? It's not dead yet. Exactly. It's living. I want you to get that um, because that's it's got it's it's got power. It's quick. It's efficient. It's living. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oxy, you're right. It's kind of like why did he put living and sacrifice together? It's kind of a a weird idea. So what is sacrifice? Mm-hmm. So a live offering. Now, you probably could have told me that without doing any Greek word studies or that, but what do you know now? When he says uh, very quickly, offering one's body as a living sacrifice, this is what you should do. We should be alive. Have you ever been somewhere where the people who are Christian are not alive? They're kind of stale and dead and ritualistic. And and you don't feel the you don't feel alive uh, that things are happening. Um, if you are alive, you can't keep it in. There's a lot of stuff you're like, and God did this, and God did this, and God did this, and you're just very excited. I had a lunch this week to talk to some women about um, helping them start a precepts Bible study for working women downtown. They don't know how to go about doing that, so I just met with them. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm like, and I learned this, and I learned this, and I'm so excited, and I've done this, and I've done this. And I could just see, whoosh, like I jumped into a swimming pool and just whoosh, right over all of them. And I'm like, I should tone it down. <laughs> There's a lot of things going on here. I should tone it down a little bit. But I was so excited because 
God is alive and these women are stepping out in faith and they're going to see lives changed. And I just, yes, yes, let's do this. And I'm just sitting there so excited and you could, yeah, um, they really want to know like how to order books and stuff. And I was like, and God's going to show up and it's going to be great anyway. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> okay. So a living sacrifice, this live offering, what is this? Mm -hmm. It is our worship. Mm-hmm. It is our worship back to him. Okay. So he says that, and he's just said, be alive. So what's the second warning that he puts right in there on verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world. So what does this world do? Mm-hmm. So who are we to be conforming to? The will of God? So we are to be conforming to not of this world. Does that make sense? We are conforming to God and God alone. Now, let's talk about idol worship. What do, what do we do with idols? We form them in the shape that we want them to be, right? What is Paul saying is the exact opposite of that? You're going to conform yourself to your God. Yeah. Yep. Exact opposite. We're not going to make it smaller. We're going to make it bigger. Okay? If that's a way that you think. We're not going to chisel out and make little, you know, I, I love Jeremiah where God says very clearly to him, you guys, you know, take your piece of wood and you make a little idol and you put it on your fireplace and you bow down to it and look what you've done. But I've created the earth, the air, the grown, the tree, the, and it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. Um, and that's exactly when I read this. This is what I go back to. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do we renew our mind? Mm -hmm. Word of God. Absolutely. All right. So let's go to verse 3, and we'll start there. How is everybody doing in terms of we're getting, we're there, we're getting it? Awesome. All right. Okay, we'll move on. Um, the next thing he says is, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Hmm, you think that's a problem? <laughs> uh-huh. So his thing is, is don't be conformed. And then I'm going to simplify this. Don't be haughty. Um, don't be haughty. That's not right. How do you spell haughty? I am. Thank you. I didn't look right. All right. <laughs> I was thinking texting, okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, yeah, so as I teach language, texting is a, a mix of symbols and letters, which is just like hieroglyphs, which gets me all excited because people are like, people go should quit texting. And I'm like, no, we're just duplicating what they did years ago, but we all think it's special. Um, so, yeah. All right. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, uh-oh, there's a word I don't like. What do we know is a truth? We're going to be tested. 
And we're going to have to discern what the will of God is. Now, how do we discern what the will of God is? These, Both of these, by the way, tie together. Mm-hmm. And the other is knowing, just like exactly what you're saying, knowing the word of God. If it doesn't line up to the word of God, you can almost 99% of the time, 100% of the time, it's not from God. It doesn't line up. It doesn't do that. I'll give you an example of something, and this is from a non-believer who just became a believer. She was in a group of Christians praying, and they were praying over an event. And afterwards, a mature Christian came up to her and said, did you feel the Spirit of God in this place? And she said, "Um, yeah. She said, I felt, now this is what she said, I'm not saying it's, It's not correct, just so you know. I felt like I was on a lion flying around in the throne room of God. So this young woman who's just become a Christian calls me up and says, I have a question. I said, love to answer it. She came over. She said, I didn't get any of that. Is there something wrong with me? What do I already know? Not only that, but this because this woman did not demonstrate what Paul is going to tell us to do right here, she did something very poorly for the body of Christ. Now, I have no idea why the woman said what she said. I wasn't there. I know that I saw the after effects of what happened. And that bothers me because I saw a woman who was really trying to wrestle with faith not be able to line that up with anything she had learned. Okay. All right. So right here, real quick, um, we're going to uh, say right here uh, on verse 3, don't think so uh, highly of yourself, but how should we think? Uh Uh-huh. Sound judgment. What is sound judgment? Any of you guys do the work on that? Mm-hmm. Right mind. I like it. The word I came up with, let me see if I have it uh, written. I, my favorite one is calm. Calm. Mm-hmm. It is. So we're going to to go there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like how um, mine was calm. Bridled passion was another word I find, which I find to be very true. Mhm. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, let us go through on verse 4 find there. Mhm. Mhm. You think that's important to him? Yep, many members were all different. We all do different things. 
Um, Paul made tents and he did that with two other believers and that was what he did among the people and that was his task. We don't judge people for what they can and cannot do. We are to be a part of the, the body. Okay? All right. Uh, six, having gifts that differ according to who? Grace. What is grace? Mm -hmm. It's that keros. It's also the gift. Yeah, yeah. It's not anything I did to earn it. I don't deserve it. But in God and in his infinite wisdom, gave it to me. By the way, I think it's beautiful and ironic that at the moment you accept this beautiful, incredible gift of what Jesus has done on the cross, the Holy Spirit has just gifted you with something back mm -hmm. to empower you to be able to do the worship that it's required. Okay? All right. So there's a whole list. Which ones are there? Mm-hmm. So there's service now. What else? Mm-hmm. Teaching. Yep. This is a new one, exhorting. Why do we need exhorting? In the body of Christ, especially this day and age, welcome to Twitter and social media. Why would we need that in today's culture? <laughs> yeah, and not only this, Martha, you are doing such a great job. I, I love that you teach. I love all the things you come prepared every week. I just really appreciate that. Even though you didn't come last week prepared, you were prepared this week. You know, those sorts of things. I'm just messing with you. But the idea there is, is why do we need to do that? We're, he just said we're going to be tested right there. So some people have that gift of encouragement. Have you ever been around an encourager? Yeah, I love those people. Encourage me, encourage me. My husband is an exhorter, and he's even before I got here, he called me twice just to tell me how awesome um, the day was going to go. Like, yeah, he's an exhorter for me. He just, that's who he is. Um, you're going to do great. This is going to be great. Um, those sorts of things, yeah. All right, so this one also gets into lead. Now, I wanted real quick to show you a technique for those that are new to Bible study, um, but also I wanted to just talk about this because I think sometimes uh, we go too quickly and we miss something. So let's say I didn't know what the word, the one who leads with, and what word do you have? Diligence. That's the same word for zeal. Okay? So let's say I didn't know what that means. How would I go about doing that? Yeah, how would I go about finding what zeal is or diligence? Get out your concordance. Very good. Yep, do a word study. So is it Hebrew, Greek? It's Greek, but yeah. All right. What else would you do? <laughs> okay. What did you say, Martha? Where is it used in other places of the Bible? Where do you think zeal first shows up? 
Back in Genesis, one of my favorite, uh, it's not Genesis, actually, it's Numbers. One of my favorite Aaron slash priests named Phineas. Anybody know the story? So he is a zealous person, and he's given a gift by God. So it goes in coordination with what we're doing. Anybody know what Phineas did? The Israelites were marrying Moabite women. They were introducing idol worship. And what does Phineas, Phineas the prophet, do and the priest? He takes the spear and because the guy brought it right into the temple for worship, which they weren't supposed to do, the tent of meetings. And he runs a spear through both of them, the woman and the guy that did it. And the Lord says, because of his, I will bless him. So, now, I don't know what zeal is. So I just gave you some techniques to do that. So when I, we say diligence, what does that inspire in us? Not that we should walk around stabbing people that are sinful. <laughs> But what, what, what does that inspire in us? Because this is a culture that's run amok, and he was supposed to be a leader in that culture. So what did he do? He was passionate about what? Exactly. He was, I will serve my God in the house of worship, and you will not pollute it. And that's exactly what he did. He... Because God said you need to kill all these people that are worshiping Baal. And he did. And God said because of that, your generations from now on will have my peace. So they will not experience the wrath of God, so to speak. Isn't that fabulous? I just think that's so important. So when you're looking at this and you're thinking of diligence and you're thinking of these sorts of words that we just throw out, we like to put them in our culture and say, diligence means that every day I get up and I read my Bible. You know, that's the sort of stuff we start doing. But again, go back to Bible study. Where's that word first used? How do you see it play out? What did you learn about those people? Um, and it helps you understand a little better what's going on in the text. Okay? All right. So verse 12, uh, Romans 12, 1 through 8, um, see any differences between the two? Uh, verses 12, 1 through 8, do you see any differences between 1 Corinthians and Romans? Did you see anything or do you think they mirror each other? I'm just asking it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just asking. I ask a lot of stuff. I always know when I've done something where people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, skip that question. Okay, so looking at the board, what do you see in terms of, um, are they similar? Do they mirror each other? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that happened when I was reading Romans this time, <clears throat> which sometimes happens when I'm reading, there's this beautiful story about the prophet Elijah, which I think 
really mirrors Romans 12 for us. So I just want to point this out, and it's um, 1 Kings 18, and it's the one with the the um, the prophets of Baal, and it's we call it Elijah's big day. So what happened on that day? Does anybody remember just from storytelling? Elijah is a prophet. 450 people. Then he ran longer than a marathon. Yeah. And so this is what I want you to think about, because this is what these inspire me to think about when, when I was going through this. So would you say Elijah was filled with the Spirit of God? Absolutely. So with the Spirit of God, before any of this gets started, he says, you are my God. You are holy and true. Bless me this day to carry out your work. Does this seem similar to you? Okay. So he says this. Then he slaughters 450 people. Did he do that in his own strength? No. It's very difficult, by the way, to kill anybody, let alone 450, <laughs> just so you're aware. It's, well, I had to take a lot of defense training. It's hard just to hit back, let alone uh, actively go after people. So here you go in terms of, I want you to think of that, the strength. Now, a lot of people will tell you that don't do biblical knowledge. They will say, this isn't necessarily true. What do we say because we believe in the word of God? Absolutely true. So who was with Elijah? <clears throat> the spirit of God. So was he able to do what was not physically possible? Absolutely. All right. Because whose benefit is it for? God's and the people, because they just wiped out the whole system of worship because God wanted his people to worship him. So that has happened. All right, so then he runs, which I think is great. He runs and he runs and he runs. Okay, and then right after that, which is the next chapter, he's depressed, which I think is, is beautiful because, and part of this I want you to understand, just because God empowers you to do something, when that activity is over, you don't need that influx of power, so you have to find other ways to maintain and to work through and also protect the gift that God has put in you. We don't talk a lot about that, but that's absolutely true. Katie is beautiful at this. Katie, if you don't know this, she quilts. She plays mahjong. She does a lot of things because she spends so much time in the Word of God that she understands for this gift to operate, she has to take care of herself and other things. That's something we don't teach in our culture. What do we typically do? Yeah, we go forward and run. And then we wonder why people get burned out, depressed, upset, and do crazy things that they shouldn't do. Yeah, I wanted to point that out to you because I think as I was doing these studies, listening to Paul, I just kept thinking of Elijah. And I just kept thinking, he's a great example. That was the Spirit of God. He was moving among the people and for the purpose of it benefits the body. That's the truth. All right, so let's move on to um, the last one that we did, which was 1 Peter 4. Anybody finding all this helpful, by the way? Okay, so you have three chapters that talk about gifts. 1 Peter is one that um, a lot of people, it's short um, in here, but I think it really hits at some stuff. So who is the author? <laughs> Very good. So not Paul. All right. So without knowing anything else, 
And going forward, when spiritual gifts is mentioned three times in scriptures, two of them by the same person at different times, and one by someone else, what do we know about that truth about spiritual gifts? Mm -hmm. when, whenever you see something listed in the word of God more than once, take note, it's important. Okay? Yeah. And so not only did God make sure that it was listed twice, he gave you another account, just so you're aware, of someone else saying, this is my word, so you understand it. Okay? All right. First Peter. All right. So um, anybody have an idea when this one was written? It's at the end of Peter's life. And they say it's around 64. Okay. And who is it written to? The church. Very good. There's one reason he wrote it to the church. I like to say sojourners in faith. Mm-hmm. Yep. To the church, sojourners in faith. Okay. And anybody know what the key verse is there? If we were like this, if you want to know what the chapter and, and this book is about, or not the chapter but the book, what the key verse is, this one I will have someone read. It's 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so within this knowledge, what is he, who is he talking to and why? Believers. And what is happening? Lust. <laughs> Those darn people. The church would be fabulous if we could just keep people out of it. <laughs> uh huh. So the world is coming against them. So before we have here, which I think is interesting, what you have here is he's saying, okay, um, you have the church, we're establishing it, I want you to love one another. The focus is definitely on the church. Here you have the same thing, present your body as a living sacrifice. What's Peter's focus? The world is going to come against you. Mm-hmm. Yep, those testing and uh, the pursuing our faith, the perfecting of our faith, those things are going to come. All right, so here are the reasons, and I did this on my own, just take it because I wanted you guys to have it so you have some context. Um, Peter wrote this to encourage steadfastness. In the face of persecution, in a few years, what's going to happen to Peter? He's going to be martyred. And who is Peter? For those of you who don't know, he's an apostle. He's a, a, a he's an eyewitness. 
and he will refuse to be crucified as um, uh, church uh, culture has said. He will refuse to be crucified the same way Christ was. All right. All right. He does this to remind them who they are. And you may want to put to remind them of our, their identity. Who are they? Mm-hmm. And we wrote down this. We are empowered. We've been placed. We've been chosen. We've been composed. And we've been appointed. Those are the words that people who are the people of God use. I have been appointed to this place. Okay, and then the last reason is to instruct them for their conduct. Now, if somebody's writing a letter to instruct them of their conduct, what do you know? <laughs> uh, I love that. Um, we're going to have to have a talk. That's the way this is going to go. I need you to not do that, right? Yeah. So we're going to have a talk. Anybody have someone, we need to talk. And you're like, oh, man. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay. So let's get right into it. So verses um, 7 through 11. They're very short. It's just uh, five chapters there or five verses. Um, but let's just kind of uh, jump right into it. What does verse 7 say? The end is coming, okay? And then he says in wonderful word, therefore, what are we supposed to do? Mm-hmm. All right. So we said self-controlled, sober-minded. That's what I say, but you have sound mind or judgment. For the sake of what? Okay. All right, so this seems like a very strange passage. So let's talk about that. What does it mean? The end is at hand. And by the way, if you know anything about Scripture, the most important word in that whole sentence is all. The end of what? Mm -hmm. That means the sun will set for the last time. It means all. That's what that means. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, he gives them um, some instruction, which is be self-controlled and sober-minded, and then he tells them why. For what? Okay. What is prayer? Talking to who? Talking to God. So in our address to God, we need to be and self-controlled. Right. And I would even put this in our worship to God, we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Where does self-control come from? Holy Spirit. Right. Right. For example... I used to have a grandmother who said all the time, I can't keep potato chips in the house because if I just eat one, I'll eat the whole batch. Okay? Yep, that may be a truth, but we'll go with this. But in terms of 
her self-control was don't keep him in the house. This is what we'll do. But you have to exercise to have self-control. That's how you get there. Okay? Self-control. Sober-minded or sound judgment. We talked about that. What does that mean? We're waiting. We're calm. We can be fervent. No, wrong, no problem with that. We can be passionate. Not a problem with that. And then I love uh, what Lisa said back there, for the sake of what? Exactly, because God is going to show up. Now, we all know this, but I'll just reiterate it. Can God do in one second more than we could ever do in a lifetime? So is it beneficial for us to wait? Always. So if God is moving... Allow him. I always say, let God play through. Just let God play through because he's going to play through whether you let him or not. And it's much more enjoyable if you do. Um, just let him, let the Holy Spirit move through. Um, when you are helping people or working with people and they're having that moment of enlightenment where you know that God has touched their heart and they will never be the same, you get to witness it. But I also know when to, because the Holy Spirit's doing the work and doesn't need any help from me. He's pretty good at what he does. Okay? Yeah. Right? All right. So he also goes on in verse 8. What does he say? Above all, do what? Mm-hmm. Love one another. Does that seem awful familiar to another person? Yep. Right after this, Paul writes about love. Yep. And then he says, uh, keep loving one another how? Fervently? Since why? All right. I'm so glad you said this. I, I just want you to know I've been waiting for this one line all class. Just so you know, we're here. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Okay. So number eight right there. I want you to look at that. It says since what? Since what? Let's talk about this. So how many people have heard this used over and over again? Mm-hmm. And it's in First Peter, if you didn't know. Anybody ever use that so they didn't have to deal with anything? I think it sometimes can be used for a little tolerance, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying properly, but... Anybody ever say, we're just supposed to love them? Anybody? I have heard this used, misused so many times, and it just grates my skin. And the other one that gets me is this one. Love is love. No, it's not. Christ's love is so much different than our love. Uh-uh, stop it. You don't know what you're talking about. That one, like I literally thought about breaking a lot of place, uh, plates in uh, West Elm. Uh, yeah. Because it said love is love, and I'm like, Jesus' love is a lot stronger than mine. This is wrong. Somebody should fix this. <laughs> okay? All right. So here's what I found out. When I say this, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what it means. When I was sitting with those women that we were talking about precept studies, this is what I hit them with. This is why we do Bible study. Since love, the word there is covers, 
But that's not actually the right uh, word. This is actually a Greek word, 2572. Okay? And this word is interpreted as veiled. Now, what does that spring to mind without me going any further? Hidden. There's only one person that the veil is ever mentioned with. Um, you see it with Moses, but you also see it with one particular. Where is the veil, the biggest one we talk about? In the temple. And what did it do? Jesus tore it from top to bottom. Okay? So since what? Since love is veiled or it covers a multitude of sin. Whose love? So does this have anything to do with us? So reread that sentence again. What it says is, keep loving one another earnestly since who? Since Jesus covered a multitude of sin. So I want you to understand, does that play into what we know about um, the gospel already? Does this go with known doctrine? So when we tell someone love covers a multitude of sin, who covered a multitude of sin? This is why we do biblical study. This is it right here. Because what happens is if we don't, and you were just reading this in context, what does this verse sound like? Mm -hmm. and, if, and if I love them enough, it'll cover their sins. And that's the way people interpret it. Is that what this says? No, it does not. What does it say? It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, fervently, continually. For what reason? Because Jesus did it. I want you to understand, this is what good biblical scholarship looks like. And this is one of the reasons why you come to class. This is why we do what we do and we keep after it. When I saw that and I just sat there, I'm overwhelmed by the thought, how many people misuse this to cover, well, I'm just supposed to love you. Yeah, exactly. If I just love you, it'll be enough. But it wasn't my love that went to the cross. It wasn't my love that covered anything. Okay. All right. Then he goes on to give us distractions. So we're supposed to keep loving, and then we're supposed to do what? Be hospitable. We're supposed to be hospitable. To who? Uh huh. Without complaint. 
Do you complain about people? I do. Sometimes I'm like, oh, not this again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be hospitable one to another. This isn't so much in our culture because most people here, as you know, even by the world's standards, we are so much more affluent than they are. But especially you'll see this in worn, torn cultures and other things. They have to be hospitable. Why? There's nothing, there's only so many resources and you have to share them. There's no other way to survive. And so it's weird because you'll walk into somebody's house and you'll sit there and they'll have, you know, 20 people in their one room and you'll be like, wow. And they've decided because you've come to visit them to make you cookies. And you're like, wow, I get a Starbucks every day. And and, and you, you realize that my idea of hospitality is not the same as they sacrifice to give for me to have something there. Um, and that's what, and my first thought was I shouldn't eat the cookies because, you know, I, I don't want to gain weight. And then the Holy Spirit's like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, forget that. <laughs> let's, let's show them I accept what they're doing for me because this is really good. Um, show hospitality. By the way, I believe food eaten in the love of everyone doesn't count. So <clears throat> that's not in there, but that's the gospel according to me. Um, anyway, show hospitality to one another without grumbling and without complaining, going where you need to go, doing things that people ask of you um, because it helps them or they're in a tight space or something that they need help with. Um, you start to see these things play out. Show hospitality to one another. And what is hospitality? Now, it's not just going into someone else's home. What else, What is it? Mm -hmm. It's giving. Mm-hmm. Being hospitable. Um, I think this was one over here I don't think we wrote, being generous. Anybody ever see the gift of generosity play out in a public setting? Anybody ever be around someone who's gifted that way? Um, I've shared this before, but it's absolutely true. My mother was gifted in generosity. Um, and it's out of all the things I miss, I miss that the most. Um, from my mother, but one of the things that was so beautiful was at the um, visitation, um, small town, 2,000 people. My mom was a hairdresser, so she touched about every head in that whole entire city at least at one time. People waited four and a half hours just to tell me how much she meant to them, and she helped them, and she, and that's what they would, and they stood in line. I have to be honest with you, I wouldn't have. And that was what I realized time after time after time. They were showing me hospitality. They were being very generous with me the way my mother had been to tell me what she had done for them. And one lady, I've known her my whole life, never even realized this. Her mother died very young. She said, I don't know how many times your mom stopped by, knocked on the door and said, your mom was a lovely person. I just wanted you to know. You know, she loved you, and she's really proud of the woman you become, a mother. I didn't even know my mom did that. And she said, I know you're going to miss her, but just know that she has influenced so many people because of her time and energy. And I just think to myself, wow, someone who is gifted in this really has that, yeah, it's being hospitable, not being put out because it's inconvenient. Does that make sense? 
um, those sorts of things, yeah. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, or and however uh, yours says it there. So let's talk about these real quick um, going on uh, down. Um, we're using them to serve one another, and this gets into, so we'll be hospitable and serve one another. This gets into the body. We're supposed to serve one another. All right, and then he talks about the two categories of gifts. What are they? Mm-hmm. So speaking and service, right? All right. So those who speak, what should we be speaking? Mm-hmm. And those who are serving, what are they to do? And then who is it supposed to reflect to? God. Okay? So does that fit in with what Paul has been saying? Do you see the flow of thought? Okay. I love this, that those who speak are supposed to speak the oracles of God. I think that that is a beautiful, we are supposed to speak the word of God. We are supposed to know the nature of God. That is our job. Those of us who have a speaking gift, that is what we're supposed to do. That includes singing, teaching, anytime that you are in a relationship one with another using words, those are speaking gifts. Um, and part of that that I want you to understand is, is that, if you're going to speak the oracles of God, what does that automatically imply? <laughs> Otherwise, you're speaking stuff that's not of God. So you have to know those as well. And then also those who serve, you do it by the strength. And many of you have experienced this, and we experience it more and more as we age. Those who have done service, and you don't even know how you've survived whatever you're serving in because it's taken so much energy. How did I do this? How did I or whatever, but God gives you the energy and the strength so that you can do that. I think about all the people after the Bastrop fires, the number of volunteers, the number of people who just gave and served endlessly. I loved it that they had to quit telling people to bring water. It just makes me grin from ear to ear because there was the desire to serve. It was more than enough. It was enough um, through that. And so the, always that we are glorifying God. All right, in the last few minutes that we have, we've gone through each of these. Do you feel like you have a better understanding of the gifts? A little bit? Our next task, which we're going to get into, is taking the gifts one by one apart. So we're just laying that foundation across what each of these says. So the last thing I want to do here is, what other truths can we pick from all three of these? If you were going to look at what 1 Corinthians said, what Romans 12 said, 1 Peter 4, what can you say is an absolute truth? Besides, it benefits the body. It's all God. What else? Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're speaking and serving. Yep, in all things, God is glorified. Yep. I think it's important, too, that 
And you know, Lisa, just right there, there that's the truth to walk away with from here. So if God empowers, placed, wills, composed, and points, what's our responsibility? Mm -hmm. It's his for the results. I have taught as a professor for over 20 years, and I can tell you, I go home and I worry, did I do this right? Did I say that right? Did they get that? How are they going to do on their exam? How does that reflect on me? I did that for years and years and years and years. However, I am gifted to teach in the body, which is different, and I know this to be true. I know what my part is. My part is to come prepared, it is to stand before you, and it is to do what he has called me to do. But what happens is him. That's all him. My job is to take it very seriously and to do the work that he's asked me to do. And that's what a lot of people get confused about because they think they're responsible for everything that happens. And again, he empowers. If it's grace, then it's nothing. It's not works. It's grace. So he powers it, he placed it, he wills. That being said, what is our responsibility? Because we do have one. Mm -hmm. To use our gift. And to use our gift in the face of persecution. To use our gift and to know who we are and whose we are. And... Um, to use our gift when others may not understand. Now, this is really something true. You're going to be, and we're in that day and age where we're around Christians who call themselves Christians, but they're not. And we're standing up, and we're we're going to pray for you. We're going to, and we're doing these things, and people go, well, that, that embarrasses me, or I, I don't. And those of us that have been called, we are to use our gift. It's our job it's to stand up and use it. Now, we're supposed to use wisdom, too. Um, but, yeah, we're supposed to use it. So if you're a person who knows your gift, and some of you may be like, I, I don't even know what I'm gifted at. Um, if you know what your gift is and um, how do you start developing it or how do you start working with it, what are some good next steps? Do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what your gift is, you'll find out more what it isn't before you ever find out what it is. So what does that mean? Yeah. Yes. I worked in the nursery for one whole year, found out really not my gift. I love children. I love them. A lot of them scare me. That's funny because I stand on stages all the time and I'm with lots of people, but they terrify me. Yeah. I get into a room and I'm like, and beads. Beads and crafts, no, <laughs> no. I had to, our vacation Bible school had a thousand uh, students and uh, I did the thing and they did a beaded craft and I went, Lord is torturing me. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, because that's just, you know, because everybody's got to have the right letter and A's and E's run out and then we cry and it's just a very big deal for everyone, including me. So anyway, but where's the user gift? Is it wrong for me to serve in those places? 
No, even if it's not my gift, it's still right if there isn't enough people in the body. My job is to love. I still step up and serve if it's necessary. I have no problem helping. When somebody says they need someone, I'm the first one to help if I can, because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love the body. It's okay that it's not in the flow of these gifts, because the first thing we're called to is what? We're to love. Yeah. My gifting is not cooking food, believe it or not. It's not what I'm good at. If you come to my house, it'll probably be store-bought. However, when it, that's your gift, I love that it is. And it's a blessing to me. But again, it's one of those, love one another, be hospitable, and serve one another. And it's okay if some of these gifts, and as we get into them, um, sometimes they, the things we do outside of the gift speak just as loudly as when we're operating in the gift. Does that make sense? I'll never forget, I was so convicted. Um, I was getting ready to teach uh, somewhere, and we had just had, there was a group of us, and we had just sat down as a church family to have a meal. We prayed over it and that. I got up to clean my dishes, and the person that was in charge of the trip, the first thing they did was came through and clean all our dishes up. Can I take that for you? Can I take that for you? Can I take that for you? Can I do this for you? And I'm like, you don't have to do that. And he goes, why? I'm part of the body. Just, I'm part of the body. This is what we do. It's what we do. It's what we do. And I was so convicted because I thought, when was the last time I picked up your dishes just because I could? You know, and you stop and you have to have that. Don't be conformed. Don't be haughty. We're going to be tested in that. And we need to, and I always say this, I think the body of Christ right now is really being tested to link arms with one another. And I think that in our gifting and our serving and everything, we are called to do that, to be strong. Because what's happening in the world is we're getting picked off by media and everything else, but we're a union of force and we're empowered by who? Yep. And I love, and I'm going to end it with this. I was going to give you the story of David. There's something about David you need to know that I think will uh, help you um, as you go out this week. What do we know about David before he became king? He was a shepherd. What do shepherds do? They tend sheep. And when he went to face Goliath, what did he say to encourage himself? Before any of it? Lord thy God, I have killed a and a bear. Right? He said that. I've killed a lion and a bear. All right, just so you know, shepherds spend a lot of time practicing how to defend their sheep. Not only leading them, but how to protect them and defend them. So club in one hand, Staff in the other. Now, most of us don't get that image. We think of the nice little staff. Club in one hand, staff in the other. And he said, I have killed a bear and a lion. That's exactly what he said. But he still has staff in the hand. Same person. Okay? All right. So when he went to meet Goliath and he saw all the Israelites coming out every day to watch Goliath give a 10-minute speech about how he's going to execute everyone, and they were like, oh, it's a good speech. It's a real good speech. We're just, we're terrified. We're not going. One guy, million people, all watching him talk. Nobody doing anything. I just want you to know, he came up and he went. And he ran quickly to the battle line. He didn't stop. He, let's do this right on up there, which is part of that being diligent, being that. So when he faced Goliath, was he ill-prepared? What did I just tell you about him? Club in one hand, staff in the other. 
He was prepared. Whether people want to know that or not, was he empowered by God? Absolutely. Club in one hand, but he had practiced long before he ever faced Goliath. It wasn't his first enemy he'd faced. Long before you do a lot of things, you're going to face a lot of enemies. And remember that as you're working in your gifting and you're doing this, you have a club in one hand and your staff in the other, and God is going to teach you all you need to know about your gifts so that you can use it in the body. But along the way, what's going to happen to us? And we're going to learn what the will of God is. Okay? Any questions? Are you excited about spiritual gifts? Like when I got into this, I was like, I'm so excited. I can hardly stand it. Anyway, I've been excited all week. That's always the thing. And then I'm like, I did my homework last week. And I'm like, I'm all week. I gotta wait. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I know. It's terrible. All right. All righty. Thank you.